Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Grace Crossing Church. I want to begin the, this morning in our new series with a, an unscientific poll. How many of you here would say that February is among your least favorite months. Can I see your hand if that's you this morning, among your least favorite? Well, I think a lot of us actually feel that way about the month of February. I don't know whose idea it was to make it the shortest month of the year, but it was brilliant, whoever it was that came up with that idea. There's really not a lot in February that we kind of look forward to. Um, If anything, it may be Valentine's Day is that day on the calendar that maybe some of us see as our day, to be able to express our love to someone else. You know, I I find it kind of interesting here in the United States that we designate one day out of 365 for love. That's not true of all cultures. We have some Filipinos who are part of our church family, and you know in the Philippines, they dedicate the entire month of February to love. They call it the love month. We have some Jamaicans that are part of our church, And in Jamaica, the island of Jamaica is called the island of love. Love is a year-round thing in Jamaica. If you've ever been there, you know that that's true. You feel that. Well, I think here at Grace Crossing Church, it's good to give the month of February some love. Wouldn't you agree? And we're going to do that this year. In fact, we're going to begin this morning a 10-week series that's going to lead us starting Valentine's week all the way through Easter, the culmination of love. The series is called True Love, and here is the big idea for this morning's message. True love is not found in a place or in a practice. True love is found in a person. True love is not found in a place or a practice. True love is found in a person. The very title that I'm using for our series suggests something really important. It suggests that there is true love, which means there are also false loves. There are loves that are not true. There are loves that are disordered. There are loves that are self-serving. There are loves that simply are not founded on truth. And yet, regardless of where we turn to find love, love is arguably the most felt need. It is the most primal need of every human being. We long for love. We need to love, to feel loved. Mother Teresa said that the hunger for love is more, much more difficult to satisfy than the hunger for bread. And I think that's true. A songwriter suggested that people in this world are looking for love in all the wrong places. And that's true. And so to find true love, I think all we need to do is go to God's word. Because it's in God's word where we discover what true love is, how true love functions, what true love is really all about. And I've got two main ideas that I want to present because I think to have true love, we got to start 
at the beginning point. For everything else we're going to talk about in this series, it actually flows from what I'm going to talk about this morning. Two big ideas that I then want to share some sub-thoughts under each of. Here's the first one. God is love's true source. God is love's true source. That may sound very elementary to you this morning. That might be like one of those, oh, well, who doesn't get that? Right? God so loved the world. Right? That's, that's who God is. But very few of us have metabolized what this means, that God is love's true source. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, to understand the power of this verse, you've got to understand that in the Greek language, in the Greek culture, there are four words, distinct words, that are used for love. I'm not going to tell you all the Greek words, but I do want to share one of them with you this morning. One of those Greek words is a word that means affectionate love. It's the kind of love that is expressed in very close relationships. Affectionate love. There is another love that's, that's called friendship love. It is what we often term as brotherly love. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. It's where that word comes from. Another word, which will not surprise you, is a word that means romantic love or a sexualized love, okay? Those are three words for love that are all used in the Greek culture. Now, here's a big distinction I want you to hear as we begin this series. Although God is love, not all love is God. Although God is love, not all love is God. While God is present in those three loves, there are times that God is absent from those kind of loves. There are times that those kind of loves are false. They are disordered. They are self-serving. They are not really the kind of love that the Bible presents to us. Because there's a fourth presentation of love that we find in Scripture that exclusively belongs to God. No one else can really lay claim to this love. This love is unique to God's character. It is a love that was prominent in the Greek culture with their many gods and their many deities that they worshipped, but very few times did the Greek people ever use this word love. It couldn't be applied to anybody else. They couldn't find anyone who was worthy enough of this kind of love. It was called agape. Agape love is the word that most commonly appears in the New Testament for love. Though it's very infrequently used in Greek culture, it is pronounced and emphasized throughout the New Testament. So here's what it says. Whoever does not agape love does not know God because God is agape love. Now, this is what's so profound about this love. There are many people that believe that that word love, agape love, is significant because it's unconditional love. But actually, that's not its significance. Its significance is that it is a love of the will versus an emotional love. That's what makes it 
God's kind of love. It is not a love that is based upon human feelings, human emotions. It is not a love that is moved by present moods. How many of you remember these rings? Come on, how many of you are old enough to remember these rings? Okay, mood rings. Moment of honesty, how many of you own a mood ring today? Come on, moment of honesty. Tim Buttrey owns a mood ring. All right, so, so it's, I remember mood rings because I remember my sisters getting them and they, they, they were really sometime around the mid-70s. I was just a child, but, but I remember that these became all the fad. Everybody wanted a mood ring and it was claimed that it would change color based on how you were presently feeling, whether you were tired or, or angry or sad or whatever. It would show a color that you had a little chart and you'd go back to the chart and it would tell you what you were feeling. Aren't you glad that God doesn't base his love on moods? When the Bible tells us that God's love is agape love, it is God's love. It means it is a love of the will that is not dependent on present mood. It doesn't matter what you're feeling. The fact that God wills me means this. It means God wills to love me even when I break his commands and break his heart. God's agape love means God wills to love me even when I fail to love him back. Agape love means God wills to love me even when I'm at my most unlovable. That's what God's love is. God's will to love us also means that God's love is a vulnerable love. There's a classic author by the name of C.S. Lewis who many of you are familiar with. He wrote a wonderful book called The Four Loves based on these four different loves that are found in the Greek language. But here's what he says in his work about love. He says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or a coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. It's really significant. Because the fact that God is love's source means that God makes himself vulnerable to rejection. God makes himself vulnerable to lack of appreciation. God makes him, himself vulnerable to being used and misused and abused by our own selfish wants and desires. And God's unconditional love, which we often call agape, is actually a love of the will that chooses to love us despite our own will. Now there are some characteristics of this love that we find in scripture. 
God's love. True love. First of all, true love is first love. True love is first love. Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. I have this against you. Jesus writes and speaks to the church at Ephesus that you have left your first love. Here's what that means. There can only be one first. Which means everything else is at best a second. What we've got to understand about God's love is God's love and God's love alone is first love and every other love is second love. That does not make second love unimportant. It just cannot become all important. One author said this, an ancient writer said, love, when it becomes a God, becomes a demon. Which simply means the moment we elevate the idea of any kind of love beyond God's love to a place of prominence in our life, we give it a certain power that God never intended for it to have. So so let let me challenge you this morning. Beware of treating a second thing like a first thing. Beware of treating a second thing like a first thing. We all do it. I've been guilty of it. I've been guilty of putting all of my chips on the table for a love that was never intended to be first love. It was always intended to be a second love. People do it all the time in their relationships. Spouses do it with each other. They make their spouse their first love. Parents do it with their children and treat their children like their first love. Children project first love onto their parents. And it's somewhere in life they've got to learn and they've got to come to the place where they grow to the place to understand their parent cannot be their first love. God must be their first love. Because whenever we make a second love our first love, here's what we do. We set ourselves up for incredible disappointment, rejection. We set ourselves up to become orphaned, to feel like orphans. We set ourselves up to be disillusioned. Only God's love, only first love can satisfy the deepest, most primal longing that we each have for love. His love alone is first. The second thing is true love is perfect love. That's the second thing the scripture makes very clear to us is that true love is perfect love. 1 John chapter 4, verse number 9 says, we love because he first loved us. He's first love. Let's go to the next verse, verse number 18. There is no fear in love. Now, Now notice this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. God alone is love. And God alone is perfect, which means God's love alone is perfect. Here's what it suggests. Like second love 
All other love is imperfect love. It does not make it insignificant. It just doesn't become a perfect love. It is an imperfect love. Every human love, no matter how wonderful it is, is all suspect. Because here's what what we realize, that we spend our lives often asking the questions, am I lovable enough? Am I good enough to be loved? Does that person really love me? Is he or she really worthy of my love? Whenever we elevate imperfect love to a place of perfection, just like when we do it with with second love, same thing, we find ourselves setting ourselves up for incredible disappointment. Because it is only agape love that can actually deeply satisfy the longing of the human heart. There's something else that I think is suggested here in these verses that I don't want you to miss. Until we find ourselves completely satisfied by God's perfect love, we will all strive for perfection. And no matter how much we strive for for perfection, we are going to fail. At some point in life, we're going to let somebody down. Somebody's going to let us down, which leads us to what? Fear. And all of a sudden, we are not loving anymore. We're responding out of a fear because we have not found perfection. How often are people disappointed in other people because they did not meet their expectations of the way they thought they deserved to be loved? Happens all the time. And so I would suggest that all of us need to be wrapped in perfect love. And once we're wrapped in perfect love, we no longer feel the need to be perfect or expect other people to be perfect. Which actually casts out all fear. We don't have to live in our relationships with others suspicious of their motives. Questioning whether they really care. When we become settled and transformed and we are at rest in perfect love, our imperfections and the imperfections of others are framed in God's love. So true love is first love. True love is also perfect love. And the final thing about true love is that true love is unfailing love. God's agape love, God's God's love of the will, not love of emotion, means that God is first, he is the source, God's love is perfect, and God's love is unfailing. Psalm 13, verse number five, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. Now, what is suggested by the statement that true love is unfailing love? It means that all other loves will fail us. At some point, they'll disappoint. It means all other love is flawed in some way. All other love has been tainted by humanity. 
God's love being an unfailing love, which we sang about this morning, that God's love is an unfailing love, means that God's love is also an unending love. Love on this earth will end as we know it. This past week, Kelly and I took Wednesday to travel to Columbus to gather for the funeral of one of our deeply loved friends, Jim Palmer, who we've known for many years. We connected with lots and lots of people who we have a lot of history with. And while we were there for those hours, sharing and remembering his life, I was reminded of something. I was reminded that love here on this earth as we know it, at some point gets separated. Like death is the great enemy, isn't it? Of human love. At some point it becomes separated and it divides us here on the earth. But I was reminded that those who are kept in God's unfailing love will one day be reunited and that eternal love, that unending love, that everlasting love, that agape love is what ultimately binds our hearts together and unites us together for years and years to come. I think it's important to understand this because we live our life so much by what we see here in the temporary that we think this is it. No, this isn't it. This is just a foreshadowing, a foretaste. It's not a perfect foretaste. It's not the first foretaste of love. And it certainly isn't an unfailing love in an in a earthly sense, in a temporal sense, but it's giving us a taste of what's to come. Jesus, when he was preparing to give his life for us, gathers with his followers, his disciples. And before he actually leads them in the institution of the Lord's table, moves on to wash their feet, prays over them, and then he goes out to give his life for us. He says this in John's gospel, chapter 13, verse one. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I love that. How do you understand those words? He loved them to the end. Many people suggest that what he's saying here is he loved them all the way till he breathed his last breath on earth. I don't think that's it. I think there's something much deeper here. Jesus, who was the eternal God, was saying to those who were closest to him here on the earth, I have loved you, you were given to me for a season of time, but listen, though my life will end here on earth, I'm gonna continue loving you to the very end because my love is unending. My love is unfailing. God's love existed before time and space and God's love will continue long after time has ceased and long after space has collapsed. God will continue loving us over and over and over again. Why? Because God is love. That is his nature. It's the source of love. He is our source of love. I love what Romans chapter 8 says. Verses 38 and 39. I'm convinced. This is really good news for us. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height 
nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Think of the worst possible thing. Think of the thing that's most unimaginable, like the death of someone you love dearly. Maybe a parent maybe a dear friend, maybe a sibling. It doesn't make a difference how dark it may get here on this earth. The Bible promises to us that there is a love that can never separate us and that we are never separated from. And there's nothing on this earth, under the earth or above the earth that can actually do any damage to that love. That love is unending. It's inseparable. We are connected for all eternity to an endless love that will never stop. And notice the last part of this. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, here's the second big thought I want to give you today. God is love's source, but Jesus is love's standard. We are not separated from the love of God that is found where? That is found in Christ Jesus. While God is love's source, Jesus is love's standard. When Jesus gathered with his disciples, here's what he said in John chapter 13, verse 34. A new command I give you. Love one another. Now that word love, which is found hundreds of times in the Bible, actually appears 57 times in the gospel of John alone. More than all other three gospels combined. It is a gospel that is called the gospel of love. It is intended to punctuate the love of God. People often say that are new following Christ, where should I begin in the Bible? And I often say begin in the Gospel of John. Because in the Gospel of John, what you're going to discover is God's huge heart for you. You're going to find out how much God cares about you, what God thinks of you, how God feels about you. More importantly, you're going to find out what his will is, his will to love you. Now, what I find so interesting is what Jesus says to them here. He calls agape, love, a new command. A new command I give you. Now, love was certainly not new to those who were following him. Love was not new to the Jewish religion. Love the Lord your God was a foundational principle that their faith was in God was built upon. So it begs the question, what is new about the command? that Jesus is giving to his disciples. Here's what I think is new. I think Jesus here is beginning to unpack for them the new standard of love. It is a new command in the sense that it has new standards. And they are not standards that they had ever understood before about God. They were his 
agape love, a love of the will that was now being expressed through Jesus for them. So what are the standards of this new love? Well, in the discourse that we find here, in, beginning in John 13, verse number one, that discourse runs all the way through the last verse in John chapter 17, okay? Five chapters long. Read them in one sitting because they are all Jesus's words, final words, final prayers that he's praying over those he loved the most. In this same discourse, when he says, a new command I give you, he repeats it over and over and over again in the discourse. He says, this new command I give you. And then he presents us these standards. Here's the first one. John chapter 15, verse number nine. Just as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Now remain in my love. What is the first standard? The first standard of this love is as God the Father has loved Jesus. Question How did the Father love Jesus? I would suggest to you that Jesus was God the Father's first love. I would suggest to you that Jesus was his perfect model of love. I would suggest to you that Jesus was the one who received and was the recipient of God the Father's unfailing love. The very first words we have spoken over the Son at Jesus' baptism are what? My beloved Son, this is Him. My beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He wanted the whole world to know something. That He loved His Son. Nothing would ever change that. No rejection. No brokenness, no betrayal, no denials would ever change how God the Father felt and how he willed to love his son. So the first standard is that we are to love as the Father loved Jesus. And he tells us here to remain in that love. Now, it's an interesting word that's used here, this word remain. In this particular verse, the word means to hold on or to cleave onto something of value. That's how the word is used in this particular verse. It means that we are to hold fast to the kind of love that God the Father had for his son. What kind of love was that? It was a agape love. It was a love of the will. That's a divine love that we find used in scripture that reminds us of how God loves us and how we then in turn are called to love one another, which is the second standard we're given. Verse number 12 of John 15. He goes on to say it. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. That's mind-blowing. That's not the kind of love they had ever heard and they had ever learned. But here it is, Jesus now, giving them this new command and saying, the way in which I have loved you and will continue to love you 
is the way I'm now asking you to love one another. The first standard is the way the Father has loved me. The second standard is the way now that I have loved you. What I have modeled for you, I'm now calling you to put into practice in your love for one another. Let me just tell you, this is humanly impossible. We cannot do this in our own will, no matter how hard we try. The only way we can do it is by remaining in his love. It's the only way. Being deeply anchored in the love of God. Because as our lives are deeply anchored in the love of God, what flows out of us, we don't force it, it just flows out of us, is the love that the Father had for the Son and the love then that we, in turn, have for one another because of the love Jesus had for us. What is this new standard of love, this new command? Here's what it means. It means that we are to love one another through second love with God's first love. It means that we are called to love one another through their imperfect love and through their imperfections with God's perfect love. It means that we are to love through their failed love, their flawed love with God's un failing, unending love. Can I tell you why so much brokenness happens in human relationships? Why marriages fail, why people fall apart, why why families are separated? It's because we don't practice the new command. The new command is what distinguishes us and separates us from all other people that walk the face of the earth. It is one of the extraordinary things that makes the followers of Jesus different from every other faith and religion is that we're willing to love through. Just like God, we're willing to love through. Love through second love, love through imperfect love, love through failed love with God's will to love because that's how God loved us. He willed it. It wasn't dependent on his current mood that was showing up on his ring. God says, I love you, I love you, I love you and I will keep on loving you no matter how you treat me, no matter what you do, I'm gonna love you with my will to love. That's the new command that you and I are invited into. And to understand how we love well as followers of Jesus, which is one of the big trademarks of emotional health is that we love well. Let me just tell you, the only way to do that is to get deeply rooted and remain in God's love. God is love source. Jesus is love standard. As we practice that kind of love, we'll learn to love each other really well, just like Jesus loved us. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.